And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, I'm going to mention more than once today my Twitter feed because it's important to check it out, uh, especially in the next coming days and weeks. Uh, my Twitter feed handle is at JakeJakeNY, at JakeJakeNY, two Jakes and the and NY for New York, um, because there's going to be some special announcements on that feed in the coming days that I think uh, the Nachum Siegel Network uh, listeners are going to be really interested in, and I hope... Uh, that uh, I'll be able to get those that news out as soon as possible. But that's one thing I wanted to say. Um, last week on the program, I talked about how important the Iowa caucuses were, how they have historically been very important to telling us for telling us who our candidates are going to be in the general election for president. Historically, it's been a very, very good indicator uh, for both parties. And then I also talked about how Iowa is a really, really important state in November as well. You know, it gets so much attention in the months and even in the year leading up to the Iowa caucuses. And then after the caucuses are over, everyone uh, seems to ignore it, which is foolhardy because Iowa is a true swing state, one of those states worth fighting for, one of those states that makes the difference between winners and losers in presidential elections. I talked about how in the last 12 presidential elections, Iowa has gone six times to the Republican candidate and six times to the Democrat. So it is really a true swing state, even more than some of those states that get the reputation as being a swing state, even though they usually heavily go a little bit more to one party than the other. Um, and of course, we all know what happened. The Iowa caucuses were a complete fiasco. Not for the Republicans. Uh, President Trump got about 97, 98% of the vote. That was expected. He also got the turnout that his campaign was hoping for. Uh, again, I, I've made the point that for an incumbent president running basically unopposed, and President Trump is been running basically unopposed, I know that there are a couple of wackos out there who are making, maybe to get to, to improve their financial situation, they're, they're running to get their name out there for free. Not a bad idea because, as we know, the news media is obsessed with the handful of Republicans they can find here and there that don't like President Trump. Whether it was Joe Walsh who of course, immediately dropped out after the Iowa caucuses, or somebody like William Weld, who sometimes is a Republican, sometimes isn't. Uh, all the people that you see on the networks, it's a very lucrative job in America right now to claim that you're a Republican or a conservative and to criticize President Trump all the time. You'll get a CNN or MSNBC or one of the other networks will give you a, a contract to be a contributor. And sometimes those, those contracts can be pretty lucrative. Some folks get $1,000 in appearance or something like that. So you do that five, six times a week or five, six times a month even, along with other things that you might be doing. It's, it's a nice little side business, if not your whole business. So that's what's going on there. So it's not a bad idea, I guess, to run against President Trump if you're a Republican for your personal financial, financial means, but politically you're not going to get anywhere. So for the Republicans and for President Trump, Iowa was, was fine. It was actually quite a success. For the Democrats, a tremendous, a tremendous fiasco on many different levels. Uh, the, first, the biggest reason being they just couldn't count it right. Now, the caucus system has changed over the years for the Democrats. Uh, you may have heard me on Novak now uh, in the last edition talk about how in some years the caucus has simply just been everyone sits and listens to representatives from different candidates talk for a while. There's a little bit of op open discussion and then people vote. That's the way they've done it in the past in some years, not all. What they've been doing recently and what they did uh, this past time was they did one of those things where everyone votes, you see what the initial results are, and then people have a chance to change their vote over to someone else who might have gotten more votes. So let's say you were voting for Joe Biden 
in the Iowa caucuses last Monday night. And at your caucus, you see he only got 20 votes and someone else got 70. And you're okay with that guy who got 70. In your second vote, you can vote for that guy or gal who got 70. And maybe they get a bigger number. And then your caucus district ends up sending more votes to a particular candidate that people sort of came to a compromise decision uh, for. Uh, If that sounds confusing, if that sounds like it could lead to chaos, you're right. It led to a lot of chaos. But over and above that problem, you had some real irregularities where the people running the caucus, people in charge of reporting the caucus results, seem to have made rounding errors, maybe on purpose, maybe not on purpose. So if it's on purpose, of course, technically it's not an error. It's, it's, a, it's a falsehood. Uh, and there were all kinds of other problems coming out there. And they really, in the, in the Associated Press and, and the, the, the general news media is not yet calling a winner in Iowa, although the Iowa Democratic Party now is saying, just in the last 48 hours or so, have said that Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, was officially the winner, even though he did not get most of the votes, most of the popular vote in Iowa. Does this sound familiar? Most of the popular vote in Iowa went to Bernie Sanders by a hair, but Pete Buttigieg will get most, uh, not most, he will get the, the, the plur- plurality. I always have problems pronouncing that word, plurality. Uh, the biggest share of, I should probably just say, of the delegates, about two more delegates than Bernie Sanders. So that's the first disaster in that there was all this reporting issue and that there was a split between the popular vote and, and who got the most delegates, which is a very bad disaster for the Democrats who for the last three years have been complaining about how the Electoral College gave President Trump the victory, even though Hillary Clinton got more popular votes. By the way, you should always refer to it as that, more popular votes. Hillary Clinton did not win most of the votes. She only got about 49% of the vote because of third-party candidates and the such. Nobody got most of the popular vote. So when you hear people saying Hillary got most of the popular vote or Hillary won the popular vote, it, it, n- neither one of those sta- statements are true. Neither one of those statements is true. Uh, she did not win the popular vote or get, the, or get most of the popular vote. She got more of the popular vote than Donald Trump did because of running up the votes in places like California and New York. And that's fine, but, but technically it's, it's not like she had that kind of tremendous appeal all over the country. And anyway, uh, that's, so, so for that to happen in Iowa as well, where the person who got more votes, the most votes compared to other candidates, did not win most of the delegates is embarrassing. But what's really embarrassing and what's really troubling for the Democrats is they now are being faced with frontrunners who cannot, in, in, in my opinion... <laughs> In my, in my, it, it cannot win the general election. Neither Bernie Sanders nor Pete Buttigieg can win the general election. I really don't think that Joe Biden can either, but I think Joe Biden has a better chance than either one of those guys to do so. The, the problem with Joe Biden has always been the same, which is he sounds great on paper. You know, when he first started his, his political career in the early 70s, when he was elected as one of the youngest senators ever out of Delaware, it just sounded like this guy's a great guy on paper. He's young. He's got new ideas. And then when you get into the 1980s, when he starts thinking about, him, about himself as a national candidate, it sounds like, wow, this is a guy who's still really young, but he's been a senator for a decade and a half. He sounds great. And then when you meet him and when you see him, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily hate the man, but he just does not come off as someone that you want to back for president. And I'm talking about Democrats here. He's never really had the opportunity to go in front of Republican voters nationally or Republican voters in a primary. He's always just failed at the Democrat level. He's never won a primary, even though he's run for president. This is his third time around. He's never won a primary. I don't think he's even come in second in a primary because he came in fourth in Iowa. 
Uh, and as I wrote and as I predicted back in September, the Biden campaign was very, very likely to take a terrible hit from the impeachment process. And I explained why. And by the way, for those of you who want to read everything that I write in more in a more extensive form than the 140 or whatever, I guess we get 280 characters on Twitter now. Uh, I am all of the editorial columns I've ever written for CNBC, and I'm still writing them, are at the CNBC archive. So if you do Jake Novak CNBC on Google, that will bring you up there, and you will have getting on to seven years now worth of editorials that I've written for CNBC, hundreds and hundreds of them, actually. Uh, so what I wrote back in September, and you can check this if, if you think I'm not telling the truth, was that Biden's candidacy, which I already was very dubious of, for a number of reasons, for the reasons that I just mentioned before, that he's always flamed out once he gets in front of the voters for a certain amount of time. He's always stronger before the voters get a good look at him. He's always stronger if you just look at him on paper and don't hear him and see him. So I already was dubious of his chances, but what seemed to really go over the heads of the Democrats, especially the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, but also the, 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 the usual suspect pundits on television who have been getting things wrong for so, so often. We tend to, to look at the mainstream news media now as being wrong about Trump because they were about Trump's chances of winning and thinking, well, this, this losing streak started then. But, you know, that's really not fair because it's worse. The mainstream news media has been wrong about candidates really most of the time <laughs> for many, many years now. They, they, they really don't get it right. And it's not only because of their mostly liberal or, Demo- or pro-Democrat bias. That's not the only reason. There are other reasons why. But they, they got it wrong about it. It seemed to fly over their heads that an impeachment process that they were going to cover 24-7 that was incumbent on focusing on alleged, even if it's just alleged, corruption in the Biden family. And I don't really even know why we even have to say alleged. And I'm not saying that Hunter Biden did anything criminal for the money that he got from Burisma, the Ukrainian natural gas company. That part is alleged. I don't know. It, it, we don't know what Hunter Biden did after he was paid all that money. But, we, but what's not alleged, what's a, what's a fact in evidence, what's a given, what we all know is true, is that he was getting paid massive amounts of money for a job he wasn't qualified for. There's, there's no argument about that. So when Joe Biden goes around and says there's not any bit of evidence that Hunter did anything wrong or that anyone did anything wrong, he's, that's, just not, that's just not a true statement. There's no evidence, hard evidence, that Hunter did anything wrong after he was paid wrongly, <laughs> undeservedly. That, that's the wrong here, that somebody was heavily paid off, connected to the vice president of the United States at the time when, when Biden was vice president. That's an, a corrupt act for which there is no counterargument. The only thing we can say is, gee, did Hunter Biden do anything after he got that money? Did he sit down with his dad and beg him to do something good for this company? We don't know. That, that should be investigated. And I will give Joe Biden and others credit when they say we don't know what happened after that. But what is not in dispute is that, he, <laughs> that an unqualified person with a terrible employment and personal history got massive jobs and massive amounts of money, not only from Ukraine, but also from China and, and who knows who else. And that's corrupt, and there's nothing to, else to be said about it. So the Democratic Party didn't seem to understand, or didn't seem to think, or maybe they didn't think that the news media would even bother to talk about the details, didn't seem to realize that putting that story out there day after day after day would turn some people off to Joe Biden. Now, I wrote in September that he was toast. Not that he was toast that day. I didn't say it was going to happen by the end of September. But I wrote in September in my editorial on CNBC.com that 
this was going to really hurt him. At the time, I thought it would help. I thought it would help Elizabeth Warren. And then she ended up really fumbling the opportunity because right after the impeachment process began and more of the details of the corruption with Hunter Biden came into light, Elizabeth Warren did something first that I thought was really smart. She came out with her with her announcement that I have that she said that she had a anti-corruption set of rules that she would implement if she became president of the United States. I thought, wow, she's really taking good advantage of this. Good for her. Not that I like or support her candidacy at all, but I thought, you know, when I see campaigns and candidates doing smart things, whether it's a smart campaign ad or a smart policy announcement or a smart reaction off the cuff, I'm impressed. I, I, I don't care if the candidate is someone I would ever vote for or not. I get impressed, and I like to point it out. And then she did this incredible fumble, which I also wrote about subsequently on CNBC.com. Again, go to the archive, Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K, and CNBC on Google, and you'll find the archive. It's all documented. I'm not making this stuff up. She ended up fumbling it because they, a, a reporter came up and asked to her at, at, at the event where she's announcing the, the corruption policy. So it wasn't like she was at some kind of pancake breakfast or something else where she didn't want to talk about the corruption policy that day. This was after she had said, I've got this big corruption policy plan that I'm going to unveil uh, and it's going to be that I've already put together, I should say, and, and that I'm going to implement if, if I'm elected president. And a reporter asked her, hey, so this whole Hunter Biden thing and other members of the Biden family getting these big foreign government contracts, really high salaries where, where they're really either questionable or have no qualifications for would that be in your plan something that you would stop now this is a as they say in baseball a meatball right over the plate for elizabeth warren at that moment she has the chance to say heck yeah heck yeah and that's why you should vote for me in these primaries instead of joe biden but what did she say the usually outspoken never shy willing to say almost anything to get elected elizabeth warren she says I don't know. I'll have to check my plan. And at that moment, I, I really think that Elizabeth Warren's chances of winning the nomination went right in the toilet. Because it was clear that this otherwise aggressive candidate, who, by the way, has been one of the most enthusiastic from a physical standpoint, which is an important visual persuasion technique when you're running for president, especially when everyone is so old. And she's old. She's in her 70s. Okay, it, it, I thought, to me, I was impressed at her physical uh, energy that she shows on on the campaign trail. She had a, my my point is that Elizabeth Warren had a has a, had a lot going for her despite her inability not to tell lies at any given time. She really just cannot stop herself from doing that. But as we know, that hasn't stopped a lot of people from getting nominations of their party or even becoming president. So I didn't think that was a a, a deal breaker for her. But what has been a deal breaker for her has been her inability or, or, or lack of desire to go after someone who was a major candidate at the time. He's falling fast, Joe Biden and the corruption in his family. Folks, you don't have to be nasty to win presidential elections. But there's nothing nasty or unfair about saying, yeah, I've got a corruption plan, an anti-corruption plan. And under my administration, there will be no more Hunter Biden or anybody else getting uh, children of, of, of people in my administration getting massive contracts and massive money from foreign governments. It's not going to happen. And even if she doesn't implement it afterwards, it, it, w- it was the obvious thing to say. And I question the killer instincts or the instincts of anyone who could be, run for president and then become president if they can't even take that opportunity. And that's exactly what happened with Elizabeth Warren. So I wrote immediately that, boy, this opportunity that she was handed by the impeachment process that should have helped her didn't. And she's been sinking in the polls ever since, by the way. Joe Biden, it's taken a little bit longer for it to kick in. 
But two things have happened to Joe Biden since he was the, the front runner, just, you know, seemed just a few weeks ago. The first is what I was talking about. This impeachment process has put his name and his family's name in the public eye in a, in a, in a negative way for too long. For too long, as I predicted it would in September. And what everyone could have predicted who knows anything about Joe Biden's personal history is the other thing that happened to him. And another thing that I wrote about when it happened was that Joe Biden got into this race way too early. His cachet has always been that he's the guy who theoretically could beat, could, could be a president. He's the guy who's looked good on paper. But when you see him in person and hear him in person, he starts to fall in your esteem. That's what happens to Joe Biden. That's what's been happening to him ever since 1988 when he first ran for president. He just doesn't grow on you. It's the other way around with him. And anybody who knows Joe Biden, anyone who was, who was a campaign expert, and I don't know who's running his campaign from top to bottom, because a lot of times they, you have campaigns where there's a, there's a campaign manager who, or a campaign CEO or whatever they call him or her, and they don't really run it day to day. For example, I guess it was John Podesta who had the top line CEO, chairman, campaign manager, whatever you want to call it, title in the Hillary Clinton campaign. But we know it was a much younger guy named Robbie Mook who was really running the Hillary campaign. And that explains a lot. Robbie Mook was someone who's never really lived in the, in, in the Midwest. Robbie Mook someone who was way too young. Robbie Mook someone who's never worked in the private sector. He was always a government guy, always an, a, a campaign guy. And it showed. It showed in the election, in the results that... The, and, and the poor way that they handled the Hillary Clinton campaign. So I don't really know exactly who is running Biden's campaign day to day. I'm sure people can find that out. But whoever that is, he or she, uh, must, should have been someone who, who knows about Joe Biden's personal history and should have in, insisted that he not get into the, the race too early. And he sure did get in the race too early. When you have a guy who has an expiration date that's very, very short, when you have a guy like Joe Biden who looks good in the beginning, and then falls off a, a cliff fast, you've got to delay that person's entry into the race. If I had been running Joe Biden's campaign, I would not have had him announce until at least the fall, so I'm thinking October. I would have tried to even push it to December if I could. And notice that, that, that he had strong high numbers in the beginning, so he probably could have won Iowa and New Hampshire, or at least done very well in New Hampshire, based on a late entry, but he didn't do that. He's been in the public eye for too long, and then you had the impeachment trial doing its damage, and this is predictable. I'm looking at the polls now for the New Hampshire primary, which will be on Tuesday, and most of them have him in fourth. Some of them have him in fifth. I think one or two have him in third. If he doesn't come in second, it's a disaster for him. If he comes in fourth or fifth, it is a total disaster for him. I think that he has enough money and enough name recognition to last until Super Tuesday, which is March 3rd, but... At this point, it's really looking like a March 4th, March 5th exit from the race for Joe Biden, which for a lot of people is shocking. Oh, my goodness. How could he? This guy was the front runner and he was supposed to be the winner just a few weeks ago. And now he's 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 dead in the water. Again, if you know Joe Biden and if you were paying attention to what anyone could have told you, but they didn't, <laughs> except for me and maybe one or two other people, anyone could have told you that this impeachment process would hurt Biden just on logic alone. And anyone who knows any of the history of Joe Biden, and, and again, there might be people working in his campaign who are young, like Robbie Mook, or, or who, who don't know anything about his history and don't understand his, his appeal or lack thereof. You've heard me say here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network a number of times, and I strongly believe this, and I've been influenced to believe this by others. This was not my original idea, but one that I was convinced to coming to by people like Scott Adams 
that the, the most persuasive candidate wins every election. That might sound too simplistic to you. That might sound, or, or may, maybe you don't agree with that. You might think, oh, it's not about how they're personally persuasive. It's, it's their policies and their record. And, you're, and, and that's fine if you want to believe that. But the fact is, is that the most persuasive candidate wins. But there are a number of caveats and explainers to that general statement that I just made. And one of them is some candidates lose their persuasive allure over time. I think the best example of that isn't even Joe Biden. The best example of that is Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter on paper, and when you saw his picture on telev- you know, in the newspaper or maybe saw him on television, the first few times you saw him, and, these, and this is for my older listeners right now who remember the 1976 presidential campaign, Jimmy Carter seemed pretty good. He wasn't a Washington politician. He had been a one-term governor of Georgia. In Georgia at the time, you could only have one term at a time. I, don't, I think they've changed that. I think only Virginia has that rule now where you can only have one term at a time. You can't run for re-election as governor of Virginia. I know that for sure. I think Georgia has changed that rule. But he just seemed like he was an outsider. Washington was so dirty from Watergate and Vietnam. It looked good, to, and you wanted to have a Democrat. The country was kind of leaning Democrat. So Carter comes out of the convention 33 points ahead of Gerald Ford. 33 points! But he barely wins on election day in November because the more you saw Jimmy Carter, and especially the more you heard of Jimmy Carter, his voice in the beginning because of the Southern accent, attracted some Southern Democrats and got them back to voting for the Democrats after two, two elections where they had switched over to Nixon. But the Southern accent was only good for a certain amount of time. After a while, his high-pitched voice and the way that he talked and that look in his eye like he was going to cry half the time got on people's nerves. And the more people saw Jimmy Carter, the less they liked him. And so by the time you got around to early November... He was just barely leading in the polls, and he just barely won the election. One or two states going the other way, and Gerald Ford wins the election. And I am very, very convinced that had that election been held two or three weeks later, Ford would have won the election. Because the more people saw of Jimmy Carter and, again, heard him, the less they liked him. And so by the time he takes the oath of office and a few weeks into his term, he's already dead in the water. People don't like him anymore. He's not very persuasive to them anymore. And he was doomed at that point because he just wasn't very persuasive. And Joe Biden is another one of those guys. And he does it to himself. And we saw that in real time on Sunday. I want to say it's a really interesting anecdote. And I know a lot of people are talking about it because of the funny thing that Biden says at the end. Funny is a, is a generous way to put it. It was a downright odd and weird. But Joe Biden proved it in real time in just, in just 30 seconds, maybe less, probably 20 seconds, proved exactly what I'm talking about on Sunday. He's at an event in, in New Hampshire on Sunday, and it's all Democrats in the crowd. So this is a mostly friendly crowd. And, a, and it's one of those town halls where they pass the mic around and people get to ask questions. So a woman, I, she seemed like a middle-aged woman. I, I apologize to her if I'm estimating her age to be too, too high because she's wearing a hat and I couldn't really see her that clearly. But she decides to ask Joe Biden a question, a question and she's got the mic. So before she asks her question, she says, I have a tough question for you. And Joe Biden does a really smart thing at that point. He sort of takes a, a double take, like a, like a comedy double take, takes off his jacket because like, oh, I got to get ready for this tough question, which I thought, is, this is good. This is smart. This is Joe Biden joking around. This is Joe Biden maybe being a little self-deprecating. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a, he, this is a good reaction from him. And then he blows it in the course of 15 seconds after that. The woman says, uh, paraphrasing her question, she says, you know, you didn't do too well in Iowa, and I'm concerned about your ability to come back from that. Are you going to be able to do that? So Joe Biden says, well, 
Iowa is a caucus, and he, he starts to try to explain that the caucus system is different, like I talked about in the beginning of this program, and he's trying to make an excuse there for the fact that the caucus system is different, and it, and it shouldn't be indicative of his overall chances to win. At that point, it's still a fine answer. But then he goes back to the woman, and as he's making that point, he says, have you ever been to a caucus? And the woman says, yes. And Joe Biden just does what he always does, which is fall off a cliff fast. He looks at the woman and says, no, you're not. You're, li- you're a lying, pony-faced sol- lying dog-faced pony soldier. That was the quote. You are a lying, dog-faced pony soldier. Which has everybody scratching their head. I guess some people, somebody told me that that may have been a line from a Western in the 50s or 60s. No one's really sure. But it's a great example. Just in that, that 30-second exchange, it's a great microcosm of the Joe Biden political brand. This is a guy who starts off well and falls off a cliff for whatever reason. I don't know if he just doesn't have the mental ability to do it right. It's not easy going out there in front of people and, and, and sounding charming and, 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 and persuasive all the time. I'm not, I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. You would think that after almost 50 years of experience, the guy would learn how to do it properly. But remember, he's been a senator from Delaware, which has three people in it. You know, I mean, I, I'm joking. But Delaware is an incredibly small, sparsely populated state. And then he was vice president, you know, which we don't put a lot of pressure on our vice presidents. So to me, that was just a great example of, of what happens with Joe Biden. That's what happens with the man. Um, meanwhile, the other, so that, that's just a huge disaster for the Democratic Party because they put a lot of effort and the news media put a lot of uh, time and effort into pushing the Biden can beat Trump kind of thing, and he may not even get out of Super Tuesday. It's, 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 it's quite incredible. It's quite incredible, but only incredible if you weren't reading what I was writing. I know some other people, were, I'm not the only one who predicted this, not the only one who followed this trajectory, you know, he, you know, who basically predicted the trajectory of the Biden campaign. But again, I, I, I pride myself, not, I, listen, I don't have a crystal ball. I keep telling this to people, I am not that I'm not a genius. I don't have uh, the prophecy. I don't have any of that kind of thing. It's just if you pay attention to what is in front of you and don't listen to hype and don't listen to people who are trying to spin things and just look at it closely, you can start to understand who's going to win and who isn't going to win. And you need to pay attention to the exterior numbers that that, that, that you're seeing. One of the things that got me to realize in, in the spring of 2016 that, that Donald Trump would win the presidential election was all those large rally crowds he was attracting. I'm sorry, but in primary elections, there's never been a candidate who was packing 10, 15, 20,000 seat arenas before until Donald Trump. And that helped to convince me <laughs> that he was going to win the election. You can't ignore this kind of stuff. And when, when I was reading that Joe Biden was only getting 300 people or 200 people, or dozens of people at some of his rallies in both Iowa, not rallies, but, but, but appearances in both Iowa and New Hampshire over the last few weeks. Yeah, that, that told me that, yeah, we're right on target with what I was expecting. And when I was thinking about Joe Biden's trajectory and his usual history, uh, it, it was very, very hard to ignore. Again, I, I want everyone to continue to, to, I hope you will follow my Twitter account. And, and what's good about following the Twitter account is that I will always announce their uh, when my latest column is coming out and where you can find it. So please follow me at Jake Jake NY. And again, please look for a very important announcement 
that will be coming on that Twitter feed and other places in just the next couple of days. I have a very exciting announcement I want to make, and I think everyone who listens on the Nachum Siegel Network, not only to this, this program, but all the programs, will be very interested in that announcement and, and, and a program that I'm going to be unveiling. So again, at Jake, Jake NY. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week. We'll have more political news, I'm sure. Thank you.